You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. Hey, I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the show, we're going to look at the last few games for the Jets, specifically the last game against the Sharks. And then at the end of the show, we're going to take a look at the forwards, see what's working, what's not. All right, segment number one, Kyle, taking a look at the last couple of games for the Winnipeg Jets, kind of as we always do on the podcast. What's been new since the last time we got together? The Jets with a huge win over Carolina, 8-1. to They lost to the Washington Capitals, 3-1. And then yesterday, heartbreak. I, I almost felt sick at the end of that game. Were you watching it yesterday? I, I was watching, yes. What, what were your thoughts going through your mind at the end of that? Um, <laughs> are well, we allowed to share, because are you allowed to share them on the podcast? Yeah, it, it was more disappointment than anything, uh, especially. And the reason why I say it's more disappointment than anger for myself, um, if you remember back, I think it was about two weeks ago now uh, that Minnesota Wild loss, where the Winnipeg Jets um, were up. The Minnesota Wild pull, pulled their goalie, scored a goal. Okay, now it's a tie game. You, you take it to overtime, you get a point. Perfect. That's still fine. But what happens in the Minnesota game? Well, 20 seconds later, you allow the game-winning goal uh, with a minute left in the game on your own net. And to me, that caused... We talked about that at length, I believe it was last week or maybe two weeks ago now. I think it was two weeks. I was at the game. That one was was worse to be there. When you have a game like that, especially two weeks ago, there should be no chance whatsoever that you allow a last-second goal like that again. Chances are you have one of those in an entire season. And now the Winnipeg Jets do it in, in nearly back-to-back weeks. It's just absolutely absurd that that happened. And that's why it was more disappointment than anger in my mind. It's just the disbelief of what are you doing that you would allow that again when you're literally four seconds from overtime and getting a point if you got a point in Minnesota and a point here, even if you lose both those games in overtime, you're still a full two points up than what you are right now, and every point is crucial at this stage. Yeah, no, I definitely get what you're saying. And so now when you see two games like this, is it to the point now where it's not luck? Or are we just kind of regressing back to the norm? Because if you remember last season, it seemed like last year there was a lot of overtime wins and a lot of close wins by the Jets, and now this year it's just going against or is that just recency bias or what do you what do you think of that well i think it's just pure dumb luck realistically right like like i said you're probably going to have one of those a season um perhaps not even one in a season and now to have two in in two weeks i think is just just pure luck that it happened or bad luck i guess i wouldn't read too much into it my mind and this is where the disappointment comes in in my mind if you have one loss like that um, that kind of kicks the team into gear a little bit, especially in the final minutes of periods, especially even more so in the final minute of games, to say, okay, we're not allowing a goal against. We're tightening things up in the last few minutes to not allow anything, perhaps just play it safe rather than taking a chance just to get it to overtime. And, and that's why it was the disappointment for me is that when something like this happens once, you change it, you fix it, and I thought the Winnipeg Jets were going to do that, and then obviously they did not. Uh, 
going by last night's result. And so now, who do you place the blame on? Because I've seen basically the blame game going around today online, whether your Twitter or comment section on Facebook or wherever you are, people are commenting about last night's game. There's a heavy majority of people blaming Maurice. Uh, He's not on the ice, but they're blaming his deployment. And it's actually funny, I looked it up for a Corsi 4 percentage from last night. The five guys who were on the ice last night were the worst. Kevin Hayes, Nick Ehlers, Tyler Myers, Kyle Connor, Dmitry Kulikov. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but all five of those guys were on the ice when that last goal was scored. They all had a Corsi 4 percentage of 37.5 or worse. That is terrible. And that's on the night. And so they've been playing like that all night, yet they were on when it mattered the most in the final seconds. And so now, obviously... But this is where it's interesting because... You say that, well, yeah, of course, your four percentage was low. They're the worst five. I get that. And that's true. You can't dispute that. Um, the other thing, on the other hand, right now, Kulikov and Myers are the second pairing, correct? They're yep. ahead of Sherrod and Niku on the depth chart. Yep. Right? Yep. So it would make sense with Truba and Bolu coming off the ice. I believe they were the shift before to have Myers and Kulikov coming next, right? So that makes sense. The other thing is Tyler Myers just created the game-tying goal minutes before, right? He, he made a nice little move at the point, had the point shot, it was tipped in. That play was essentially created by Meyer's point shot. So not only do you have, he's your second pairing, kind of due for the ice time, but you have the guy who created the game-tying goal on the ice. So that's why I don't think it's necessarily a bad move by Maurice, because what else do you do, right? You have to have somebody on the ice at that point. You could argue maybe you get up the third line instead of the fourth to close out the game. But that's why I don't think it's Maurice's fault because it. I think it rests solely on the players on the ice. Well, I think it always comes down to the players on the ice uh, just because you, they're the ones who make the pass. They're the ones who actually play the game. So it, ultimately, I think everything has to rest on the players at the end of the day. But you're right. Uh, it does make sense that they would put Myers and Kulikov on. I get that. But then that Kevin Hayes, Ehlers, Connor line, and I understand it. Even if they're not having a good game, sometimes they can spark something. And you don't necessarily expect your team to give up a goal when you're pressing and you're up by one. It was just kind of a bad play that led to an odd man rush that led to the goal. And I think you can pass the blame to just about everybody who is on the ice. Tyler Myers pinches up too deep. Kulikov uh, didn't play the two-on-one that well, wasn't able to block the pass. Then Ehlers was the one who made the bad pass that got deflected. Kyle Connor was pinching in a little bit too deep as well, and he wasn't able to get back in time. He wasn't able to cover because Myers had moved up. And so really the only one I think you can't blame is Kevin Hayes because he was just waiting for that pass. Or can you give him some of the blame too? Or do you give Connor Hellbuck the blame? Maybe he should have had that two-on-one. Or... If he would have made a spectacular save, it would have gone to overtime, and then who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't rest it on Hellebuck. It's a cross-crease pass. Joe Pavelski is an absolutely elite goal scorer. Um, I mean, he's got to find the back of the net on that. It's just a given when you give up a play like that. Um, but if we're walking through the play a little bit, so Ehlers comes over the line, stops up. So this is where it's all fine right now, right? Ehlers stops up. He, he's trying to make a cross-ice pass. That's the Tyler dangerous Myers thing. Is, this is a Tyler one. Myers is, what's that? This is a tie game with seconds left, and you're doing a cross seam pass, trying to get through multiple sharks' sticks at the blue line 
when you're in a tied game and you could easily just take the point and go to overtime. Like, so here's the thing. Either that, stops up, right? Yeah. Tyler Myers is coming through the center of the ice. Right now it's fine because it doesn't really matter at this point. Either still has the puck. What happens now, Ehlers passes the puck, and this is where it all goes wrong. The reason why, Dmitry Kulikov is a left-shot defenseman playing on the left side. That's fine. He's at his spot on the left blue line. What happens is Kyle Connor is sitting right next to Dmitry Kulikov on the left blue line. Tyler Myers comes through the middle. So now what happens is Tyler Myers moves up. There's nobody on that right point. So Ehlers, this is where we're playing the blame game here. I would say Ehlers gets some of the blame because if he sees Tyler Myers coming through, which he had to have, he has to realize there is nobody at that right point. It is his job to see that before threading that pass through. It's similar to if you're on a two-on-one, um, it's a common shot. If you see the guy missing high, far side, that puck's rimming around the boards. Well, you need to know who's that puck going to go to if you miss the net. Ehlers needs to know where the puck's going to go if he misses the pass, and he doesn't. So that's why I think some of the blame is on Ehlers, right? Yeah, no, I am, sense? I am right there with you. Some of the blame is definitely on Ehlers. The next part of the blame, I would say, is on Tyler Myers. What the heck are you doing in, as a defenseman with 30 seconds left in the game charging right to the net. That makes no sense in my mind. And, and this goes back to the fact that he was on the ice for the game-tying goal. How good did that feel to let the shot go from the point that ends up as a tying goal and the whole place goes nuts? That's got to feel pretty good for Tyler Myers. So he's thinking, hmm, why don't I try that again? What happens if I get the game-winning goal? I'm going to be the hero. So some of the blame has to go on Tyler Myers because he's 100% out of position. And they might also be thinking that if he's coming to the net, he might be thinking in his mind, there's not enough time left to give up a chance the other way. Because exactly. really... But he was four seconds wrong. So he some was. of the blame he, has to go on Tyler Myers. He was, four, he was four seconds wrong. Absolutely. And but like So the, the next thing I would say, so Ehlers has some blame, Myers has some blame. The next thing is Kyle Connor. So... Or Dmitry Kulikov, kind of a two and two and one right there. Or is it As Tyler Kevin... Myers moves up? Who goes to cover Myers' right hand D spot? Shouldn't that be Hayes? But Hayes is looking for the pass. Right, but Hayes maybe shouldn't be looking for the pass and should be moving up to cover because he was on that side, like you said before. Um, if we see Connor on the left wing, Connor can't get all the way over to the right wing to cover that point. If Kyle Connor is the left wing. No, and I think the issue is they didn't recognize it soon enough because Hayes is already in the zone. I would say it's the people in the neutral zone who have to cover for Myers. So Connor does not move over, or Kulikov does not move over soon enough before Tyler Myers because they waited way too long to try and recover. So Kulikov or Connor, or Hayes maybe, but I would say more Kulikov or Connor needs to move over as they see Myers moving up. Neither of them do so. The path gets tipped. So I think, so now the blame was on Ehlers, the blame was on Myers. A little bit has to be on Connor or Kulikov. And then, like you said, breaking down the actual two-on-one, not a great look by Kulikov, just kind of stands there. Not a great look by Hellebuck. Kind of gets over, but it gets a roof past his glove. So I would say the blame was on everybody on the ice, maybe less so Kevin Hayes, but a little piece to absolutely every player. Yeah, no, I am right there with you. But again, we we're putting so much emphasis on this last play but the Jets had let in four goals already to that point. 
Not a great defensive effort. But when you looked at the game, and I was watching it, and maybe it was just my eye test, but I felt like the Jets were playing well. And again, you look at some of the numbers, you look at the Corsi against, and you look at actually the stats, and they kind of disagree with what I saw. I didn't feel like the Sharks had that many dangerous scoring opportunities, other than the ones that went in. But I felt that their chances weren't that great. A lot of them were kind of just from the outside. They were just kind of fling them towards the net. I thought the Jets were actually... And they didn't get the Jets didn't have tons of offensive zone set up time, but I felt like the Jets were playing well enough to win the game. I felt like Hellebuck's goals were a little soft. You're, you, did you think that at all? Did that cross your mind? My fear index yeah, was high. I, to- I totally agree with you. Um, it's tough because San Jose, the game, the type of game they were playing, it's tough as a goaltender. They were putting a lot of traffic right in front of them. Uh, so one of the shots getting tipped kind of squeaked through his arm. I think that was the second or third Sharks goal. Um, but a lot of them, you just kind of had that bad feeling of, mm, that probably shouldn't have went in. But there's traffic. It goes off a stick. It goes off a skate. There's all these sorts of things where the puck just happens to go in. I mean, could you fault Connor Hellebach in some of them? Potentially. He didn't look at his best, I would say. Um, but still, you kind of got to clean up the front of the net and especially those tips and stuff. I mean, what do you do on those? Sometimes they just happen. Yeah, and so, again, it's when you look at the whole game, it was tied going into down the last few seconds, and the Jets get a wrong bounce off a stick, and it goes the other way. And so we talked about it. Who all can share uh, some of the blame for that? A lot of people calling for Paul Maurice's head in Winnipeg. Do you think... Where do you think Paul Maurice's standing is right now with the Jets organization? I think he's on a pretty solid footing. What would you? What do you think it would actually take for the Winnipeg Jets to change coaches? Uh, I mean, we're talking multiple years of stuff. I, I think it's not even close to a thought. I, I, I mean, you, you maybe talk about a first-round exit, but at this point, I don't think most hardcore Jets fans who are, who are looking at the, the behind-the-scenes stats – most fans would argue the Winnipeg Jets aren't living up to their top of the division standings right now. They're not playing as well as the standings indicate, I would say, right? So a first-round exit, if that were to happen, in most fans' minds would say, well, the Jets kind of had it coming to them the way they've been playing all season. And that's why I don't think Paul Maurice's job is really on the line for sure this year because even if you go up in the first round, people will say, well, yeah, we weren't playing good all year. We were missing a bunch of a key defenseman, that sort of thing. It is what it is. I think you're going to have to have a, a terrible season next year for the entire year before Paul Maurice is even thought of getting fired by the organization. So here's the real question. Do you think that the reason everybody is getting so angry at Maurice, and, and I know a lot of people are looking at five-on-five five numbers and some other things like that, and do you think that the reason that everybody's getting frustrated is because expectations were placed too high on the Winnipeg Jets heading into this season. Was it an overachievement last year in the playoffs that then pushed unrealistic expectations on this year's club? That's just kind of well, my that's just kind of my thoughts well, right now because look at this. I I'm just going to a little bit of an answer here before I let you respond with your thoughts. The Winnipeg Jets last year were looked at as a bubble team. We might squeak into the playoffs, but everything went well. Connor Hellebuck played great all season long. 
He stepped up and he was the number one go-to guy. Patrick Laine had a great goal-scoring season once again. Paul Stastny came in at the trade deadline, was a great addition and a great piece. The Jets were rolling, everybody was clicking, things were looking great. At the, goal, at the last season, our goal was just to make the playoffs. But then they won the first round. Then they beat the Nashville Predators in the second round, in a Game 7, and Game 7s we know can go any way. Everybody's getting hyped up in the city. All of a sudden, they make it to the Western Conference Final, and now it's Stanley Cup or bust. Yet the Winnipeg Jets made a bunch of different moves. Now Connor Hellbuck is seen as the go-to guy. He has to be the number one. He has to have good numbers. The Jets lost a few. The deep uh, They got a little bit thinner. They no longer had Brian Little. He had to move back up into a bigger role. There was guys that were traded. Joel Armia got traded away. And so there was a lot of different things that were moved around, kind of in the bottoms. And But everybody thought, oh man, the Jets are still moving forward. There's no reason why they can't win the Stanley Cup. So expectations went from making the playoffs to having to win the Stanley Cup because the hockey news was picking them. Everybody was projecting them to be elite, elite, elite. Yet things happened, things changed, and maybe we just put too high of expectations on this club. I, I don't think you're, you're wrong um, in a sense. But here's my thought. The Winnipeg Jets last year were good, right? And we thought they were going to be a bubble team. Turns out they weren't. The reason why they were good is because they did many things well. When you look at where the shots were coming from, particularly defense, they were excellent in front of Hellebuck. The entire team was excellent at limiting shot quality chances against. This year, totally opposite. And now we see Hellebuck's numbers dive down. Correlation? Yes, 100%. We see a lot of other things, expected goal differentials, are way down this year. There's a lot of underlying numbers that are way down this season compared to last season. Does that have anything to do with expectations? Well, no, it doesn't. No, but people expect the numbers to stay the same, if not get better. That's what I'm talking about. I'm saying people are frustrated with Maurice because they expect his numbers to be like last year and not maybe... Is it just regressing back to the norm this year? Or was or is it actually down from the norm of what last year was? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand. The problem is last year... So I think the difference is last year the team was actually good in the standings because they finished second in the entire league, but also in the underlying numbers because they matched. This year they do not. So why don't they match? And you pointed to a few additions, subtractions, that sort of thing. That's all fine and dandy. That's true. But it doesn't matter if you think the Jets should win the Stanley Cup or if they should be a bubble team. You still want those underlying numbers to look good. And right now they aren't. And that's why people are mad at Maurice is because there seems to be a fundamental problem with the way this team is playing. They're not playing like a Stanley Cup contending team. Regardless of what you think of them, if they're good or not, right now their numbers are look to be outside of the playoffs. If you look at just their pure expected goals, they should have negative goal differentials. They should be outside of the playoffs right now, according to their underlying numbers. They just rely on absolutely elite talent and a really good power play. That's the only reason why they're even in the playoffs, to be honest. So that's why people are mad at Paul Maurice, because you have a team that we, everybody, the entire hockey world thinks should be a quality at least top 10 in the league team, 
and they're playing like a non-playoff team, and that's what the big issue is. Right, with but, Paul you, but, and but you're saying style. everybody thinks they should be an elite team, but maybe they're actually not, and they're just playing like their numbers show. Maybe it's everybody's expectations of this team. You know what I'm saying, though? Because you just it's said possible, you just said this team is an elite you, team. But if but they're not the actually, you don't have the entire hockey world thinking like a team is bad and they're really not, or they're good and they're really not, right? That doesn't happen. Because it, the Winnipeg it happens. Jets, it, it does happen old sometimes. Old school hockey minds think the Winnipeg Jets are good, right? Yep. New school hockey minds think the Winnipeg Jets are good. No matter what metrics you're using, you're thinking, hmm, that should be a pretty good team, right? So they, they are a pretty good team because of that, right? You have other teams that, well, the analytics show they're not actually that good, Old school hockey minds saying, oh, well, they should be a good team. Well, something doesn't match up. The Winnipeg Jets, it does match up, but they're just not playing well. So we talked in length about the San Jose game, specifically the blame game on the final play. Uh, but we wanted to talk a little bit about the other two games as well. Uh, that big beatdown in Carolina, uh, the loss in Washington on the really close game. The interesting thing for me is I'm not sure the Winnipeg Jets actually played that well in Carolina, but... It seemed to me the Winnipeg Jets played very well in their loss against Washington. Uh, just interesting to see that sometimes you can play well, like against Washington, and still lose. It, it happens. The Winnipeg Jets, I think, gave up less than 20 shots in that game against Washington, or around the 20-shot mark, yet still lost 3-1. to one. And, and in Carolina, if you looked at some of the other shot totals, that sort of thing, it shouldn't have been as lopsided as it was. Uh, in my mind, the bottom line is there can just be a lot of luck that goes into hockey games, and you never really know what's going to happen. You can play good, and you can lose. You can play really poor and win, and I think that's what we've seen a lot of times from Winnipeg Jets, just that inconsistency from game to game. Now, I didn't get a chance to actually watch the games on the weekend. I had uh, I had to be broadcasting both games, or during both Jets games, so I've only basically just been able to kind of read up and look at box scores, and so that's why I focus more on the San Jose game. Uh, here for the final segment, last episode we looked at the defense for the Winnipeg Jets, all the problems, the potential, the way things uh, could or should look. Right now for the Jets up front, everybody's healthy, everybody's in the lineup. I think... As I was watching the game last night and I was seeing the way everybody kind of worked together, obviously some of the bad Corsi 4 percentages uh, we talked about already at length, I didn't mind the combinations. I feel the Jets look pretty deep up front uh, when you can really spread things out and everybody's healthy. Yeah, I totally agree. I think these line combinations are really solid right now. I think this is probably what you want to roll for the playoffs. You might want to do a little bit of tweaking. I mean, because you can... Um, but I think the biggest thing is getting Hayes comfortable with Ehlers and Connor. I think Line A with Shifley and Wheeler has been totally fine, even though Shifley hasn't been scoring the points. It's been Line A straight to Wheeler, which is a little bit interesting. And I think your bottom six is totally fine as well. Each line brings kind of its own unique flavor to the lineup every game, and I think that's what you want uh, to be a deep team going into the playoffs. Now, I really actually like the look of the bottom two lines in this last game. Uh, just the way that they were able to get pressure, able to get chances. They scored a couple of goals. They were rewarded for their hard work. Um, and I liked that Perot, Cop, Roslovic line. Uh, each of them are, are, at least Cop and Perot can be play drivers at times. We've seen that. And then with Roslovic, a little bit of creativity on the fourth line. And when you look at uh, time on ice, uh, you don't you see less time for Roslovic in this last game. And I'm okay with that. If Perot and Cop can get some ice time in other ways, 
that's fine with me if you have Rozovic not getting as much right now. I, st- I think it's fine going forward here for at least the next little while. Yeah, I agree. That fourth line's interesting because if you remember uh, about a month ago, Rozovic was up on that second line uh, for a long time when Ehlers was out. And Matthew Perot has also played. He's played on the top line in the past couple of years. He's played second line. He's played everywhere. Uh, Andrew Kopp last year was a staple on the TLC line. So you could argue that each one of these players is actually demoted to the fourth line uh, to play on it right now. And all four of them, or all three of them, are playing really well in that role. I think it's actually working out very well. They could be one of the best fourth lines in the league if they were used over an entire season. Uh, they're just that good together. Yeah, I am right there with you. And then, again, those top two lines just need a little bit more time for chemistry, but I'm liking the way that Line A is maybe more engaged playing with Wheeler and Shifley. I don't know. I don't see as many uh, problems with that. I still obviously see problems with him leaving his zone. I don't know if you noticed it the other night, but it seems like every time the puck comes to him, he just has a hard time getting out of the zone. And, and I feel like we talk about this every time, It's but because I notice it every time. Yeah, I don't know what it is because he's such a skilled player and... <laughs> We know that by the way he handles the puck. He can shoot the puck. He can stick handle the puck. But for some reason, just getting the puck, turning and getting it out is very tough for him. I think making it even tougher is uh, he's now playing on his off wing with Shifley and Wheeler. I mean, he didn't look great on the other side getting it out, but he looks even more awkward now uh, just taking it off the boards and trying to bring it. Maybe it'll help because if he's facing the net as the puck's being rimmed around, he can take it on a forehand, maybe shield it a little, little bit better. But whatever he's doing just is not working at all, it, just in terms of getting it out. Once he gets it out, he's totally fine. Just that seems to be one of the weaknesses right now in his game. If you have anything you want us to talk about, hit us up on Twitter. We are at Jets and Podcast. Find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at JetsNation.ca.